Welcome to the 2020 Baby Podcast. I'm Pamela Douglas and it's my pleasure to have with me down the phone line from Melbourne, my colleague and NDC provider, Robin Fitzgerald. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, Pam. It's lovely to hear you down the line. I'm hoping up in sunny Brisbane. Very sunny. In fact, very warm today. Our warmest day for a long time. Definitely leaping through spring into summer, I would say, up here in Brisbane. I I think in Melbourne we're desperate to get into that um, spring feeling. Such a such light at the end of the tunnel for us. Yes, yes. Well, I'm wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about you, Robin, your background and uh, qualifications, and then moving into telling us about what's actually happening in Melbourne um, as you work with mums and bubs um, right now. Well, thank you so much, Pam, first of all, for inviting me to have this conversation with you. Um, yes, I am um, both a registered nurse and a registered midwife and an internationally board certified lactation consultant and a NDC accredited practitioner. Um, I currently have a private practice in metropolitan Melbourne um, where I see mums and bubs um, with whatever issue they may be having at that time. Um, Melbourne has been in stage four lockdown now. Uh, Well, it's called stage four in Melbourne, Australia. The government have set um, stage four, which is the most severe of the restrictions. We're under um, or just coming out of a curfew. Uh, We're now currently allowed out um, two hours a day, but it has been one hour a day um, Mm. and not able to travel greater than five kilometres from our home. How long has that been going on for, Robin, in response to what was the second wave, really, of so, um, yes, COVID so the second, in Melbourne? Yes, the second wave of COVID. So the first wave was, I suppose, in March this year, um, and we did, I think, what everybody else in Australia was doing, which was social distancing, hand washing, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but unfortunately, then we had uh, an outbreak related um, to uh, some, indes- I suppose, m- mistakes really that people made through lack of knowledge or lack of understanding, which set off um, the virus again in Melbourne um, at a very rapid rate. Uh, and so the decision was made by the government to um, really uh, enact these quite strong um, restrictions around um, social distancing, schools closing down, um, childcare's closing down. Uh, as I said, the five kilometre radius, only moving within a five kilometre radius, one hour um, out of the house a day. Um, enforcing of mask wearing and a curfew that you had to be could only be out between the hours of 5 a.m. and 8 p.m. Mm, mm. So really quite a hard lockdown. Yes, quite mm, a hard lockdown. Mm. And so, of course, the rest of us in Australia have, have been um, watching with concern and, and aware of, of how this impacts on 
individuals and families' mental health really to have a second lockdown happen. And of course, in particular, I'm concerned about the impact on families with babies. Actually, how many women do you see a day or a week, Robin, in your role? Yes. So, Pam, just um, what happened with the second lockdown is that I actually have had an explosion in um, seeing women on a weekly basis because I think uh, the subsequent flow-on effect to the whole of the maternity services. So, for example, in Melbourne, currently when you have a baby, your partner is only allowed to visit for two hours a day, no siblings, nobody else, only two hours a day. And I think this resulted in many women um, discharging themselves early from hospital um, because they uh, really felt that they couldn't manage without their partners either in the hospital or, in fact, they really were really missing their their children. Um, so then they've come home. The services that were developed um, around women immediately post-birth with uh, hospitals visiting if they're in the public system uh, and uh, or maternal and child health nurse services uh, probably um, have been unable to quickly respond to that change in how women needed to be supported in this very early postnatal space. Mm. And also the availability of skilled help was not available to the to what was available previously in terms of perhaps inpatient support. So you had that dual thing of the women coming home earlier but they're not being able to access support to enable, um, in many cases, breastfeeding to um, to develop um, and uh, to flourish, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. And then what the women did then was very wanting to solve the problem, so desperately wanting to get it right that they would go to the easiest available source, which is usually the internet, and try and practice everything they possibly could imagine off the internet to get it right. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a heroism really to to the way women invest in in uh, really trying to to do the best by their little baby, isn't there? Yes. So, Robin, how many ladies would you be seeing? in a week at the moment just to, to yeah. give us a Some sense weeks, of it. Some weeks, Pam, I'm seeing 40 women. Yeah, yeah. So certainly certainly very busy this time. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So and can I, you well, – well, I was just going to invite you to, to tell us um, more about what you're noticing in terms of the impact of um, COVID-19. 19 and um, social isolation on these women and their bubs yes so if if thank you Pam I I think the first thing that I probably have noticed is that um, for a lot of the women their pregnancy has been actually in isolation as well so they haven't had women have said to me I really missed going in and meeting with my doctor 
um, and midwife that some of those visits were actually done via telehealth. So they weren't able to hear their baby's heartbeat as um, in their previous pregnancies or or, that, or what they felt they wanted to. So I just feel in the beginning there was this disconnection. Um, I feel that um, the the dreams that we all have after we've had our babies, which are often very different to the reality of what happens, but the breakdown in the family units. So the thought that their mum would be able to come or their sister would be able to come and help, or for some families, very strong cultural um, uh, un- tradition that their family would come when they have their baby and that their extended family would carry on the tradition of what they did to raise their children has been not has not been able to occur so that has broken down that uh, cultural understanding of child rearing Um, the women feel uh, that when they've had people as well Um, intentioned as health professionals are and being cautious around the uh, restrictions that they have to follow that um, visits where babies may be weighed um, you know there's nowhere to sit down they're not allowed to stay in the room they can't sit and offer their baby a breastfeed if they're upset after being stripped off for a way so it's they feel that nobody wants to help them Um, And if you're having difficulty, then that sense of isolation and nobody being able to help you face-to-face just increases. So the loneliness increases with the worry that they can't get this right. Um, Mm. Mm. So the kinds of issues that you're dealing with predominantly, Robin, with women and their babies in, you know, the, the... 40 hours or so a week actually that you've you've been working lately what what are you dealing with predominantly I suppose it falls into three categories Pam first of all would be basic positioning or I suppose the basic fit and hold as yes, you like to call yes, it in possums yes that the um, predominant um, shaping of the breast and bringing the baby on waiting for a wide open mouth is what the women have been instructed in the hospital or are Googling. So the more and more they desperately try to solve it, um, that they, the nipple damage becomes um, more intense. Um, They're not able to feed um, at all, um, let alone with, without pain. Um, Babies then very unsettled babies, um, they Google unsettled babies. They come up with a range of um, medical diagnosis, uh, which then the women worry about more. Um, not only now can't they feed, their baby has now got another problem as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't access skilled help to turn that around. Um, most lactation units within public hospitals are not seeing people. It's only a phone call. Mm. So that means that they can't access that Um, and a lot of the lactation um, privately practicing lactation consultants also um, are only operating out of telehealth Mm. so that's Mm. one area Mm. the second area would be quite unsettled babies yeah Um, yeah just a little bit older 
um, and the baby is really dialed up. Mum are trying, they're exhausted, they're up early in the morning till late at night, baby on their own, in the house on their own. Some women don't have access to backyards or can only allow out for one hour a day. Um, So the desperate need to have a break from the relentlessness of this, no support, um, mum, and it's usually the mum, Pam, yeah, um, yeah. because often the dad is actually working from home and needs the house to be quiet so he can be attending or at least not have a crying baby all the time. So mum's feeling very guilty then if they're out walking for longer than the hour to try and actually have some quiet in the house so dad can be attending to his Zoom meeting or whatever. Mm, Um, mm. And in conjunction with that, the number of people in Victoria that have been, um, you know, lost their jobs. Uh, So the the stress of then not having an income to pay for their housing and mum's just gone on maternity leave and they've now got a new baby and dad's lost their job without much prospect given the current economic climate. So add Mm, to that stress. mm, mm. And then the third group is an escalation in mums with bubs with um, sleeping problems, let's just say in inverted commas. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I think, again, fitting in with the sensory. Um, So probably a mix of all of those, Pam, but predominantly it's newborn fit and hold issues from um, with difficulties with breastfeeding. Yes, and of course in our work with neuroprotective developmental care we'd understand this societal blind spot around fit and hold um, breast tissue drag as really at, at the heart of so many cascades of problems actually that families then encounter in early life. So not the only problem underlying unsettled infant behaviour, but certainly something that, that's often not identified and managed well. I'm, I'm sure you would agree, Robin. Um, yes. Yeah, so I um, wonder whether you could share with us the, the, the sort of... So, so doing that work with women and their babies breastfeeding around fit and hold, could you share with us some of the points that you're finding yourself constantly sharing with these families, just in a a bit of an overview for us? Yes, yes, Pam. I I think I am in a very, very fortunate position in my life to have actually met you. That's such a lovely thing to say. Thanks, Thanks, Robin. Uh, Once, um, particularly working through telehealth, being able to explain the biomechanics clearly. Yeah and a woman understanding the biomechanics so she can apply that herself is revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Because up until then, when she's had effectively somebody put the baby on or her just put the baby on without understanding what she's trying to do in terms of the way that that breast tissue falls and how you want to just line that baby up in that trajectory so that baby has access to that ample amount of breast tissue to draw it up into its mouth once they understand that and how they can alter what they're doing they (laughs) breastfeeding will improve 
But when they're blindly just trying to put a baby on because that's what they think they've, well, that's the interpretation of what the instruction's been given, they can't correct it. Yeah, yeah. So the understanding of Gestalt is that they can actually do a lot to improve the fit and hold themselves and they don't need somebody else to show them what to do. Yes. So it's quite empowering for women. And in telehealth, you can't, you can't put the baby on. That's it. That's it. <laughs> the woman has to do it. It's so much more empowering to yeah. be able to do it through telehealth because I know if I'm there, as much as I want to sit on my hands, it's very tempting to be just like, oh, just move this here and do it yourself. But when you're sitting through a screen, you have to sit there and take a breath yourself and say, okay, maybe you could just move that little hand there. You're sitting in front. You've got my doll in my hand myself. And I am, the woman is looking at me directly in the screen and we're working very intensely together. She's thinking about how that's feeling. I'm asking her questions, getting her to tune into her body rather than the pain. Mm. Uh, so I just think that it's really very, very powerful, particularly in these times, despite mm. the fact that the majority of women do want face-to-face. -face. I mean, it's not available to them. They're quite shocked that what, how good it can be. But it does need to be, I do believe, over... Um, a screen, like through a, a visual medium, not just a telephone. Yes, I, I agree with you, Robin. And yet I'd also agree that it's, you know, in my experience, um, quite astonishing how effective a gestalt breastfeeding intervention can be by Zoom or by a secure telehealth platform. But I would agree that, that we do need that visual connection. Yeah, so thank you. So that's the, the fit and hole with breastfeeding. What else do you find, if you don't mind giving us this this overview, that you're sharing with constantly with the ladies that you're seeing? I think the issue often is with a, gen with a woman that has a more generous bust, that the upper arm encroaching on the breast tissue, that moves the breast tissue across without them realising and just trying to create that bit of space there. Um, I think allows that baby to bury the head more into the breast tissue. And that's just subtly looking at those little things um, that the woman often hasn't even realised uh, is, is, is a, a key. Um, I think also um, I really try and encourage the women to look at their little bubs and assess those delicate little chins because it's such a key feature to trying to ensure that we've got lovely head extension so that that chin, that it may be a little bit delicate, that we can try and get that more buried into the breast tissue to allow that mouth to fill with breast tissue to enable that effective transfer of breast milk. Um, and so that's also works in that lovely way that you really working with the woman uh, to get her to notice things about her baby instead of the focus being predominantly on what's going wrong you're identifying or helping her notice things about her baby so a little delicate chin is just unique to your your own little bubby all those little features and it's like with this 
as you say, Pam, this great anatomical diversity. We just need to marry this mum and bub together to get it working. Yeah. So it's such a um, feature of, I suppose, that noticing and naming. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thanks, Robin. And I suppose, um, I mean, you've named some very common issues and presumably if you and I were to sit down, there'd be, you know, whole lists of things that we're commonly addressing in um, consultations, whether face-to-face as we're able to do up here now or indeed entirely telehealth as you're, you're um, needing to manage in Melbourne at the moment. But I wonder if we put aside breastfeeding and think, say, the, the domain of, of a baby's sensory needs... I wonder if you could just let our listeners know the things that you're commonly sharing with these women at the moment in Victoria that you're seeing. I um, feel, Pam, for the mums that were had their babies in lockdown one or just a bit before that, um, then got through, we got through the first lockdown and were just beginning to go out and explore the world, taking their babies out exposing them to a rich and varied um, sensory experiences and then go back into lockdown too. Uh, I think for these women, it's been really tough tough because the baby has grown, their sensory need has increased, their sleep needs have reduced at the same time. And I think the other stresses around COVID-19 have all impacted. It's like the holes in the cheese have lined up. Uh, Mm. And we've now got mums feeling really concerned. And they're concerned in terms of what might the future hold for my baby when the baby has really only known me and my partner Mm. um, Mm. to care for them that they haven't seen many people at all, Mm, that mm. um, when we now go out for a walk, we're wearing masks. We can't even see what that expression under that person's face is, that they haven't had exposure to cafes or an environment that would be stimulating for the baby. Um, And particularly if the women have been working you know, with the possum's approach to um, enjoying sensory and laying down these neural templates, that they're concerned that, in fact, this may be impacting on their baby in the long run, Pam. Mm, mm. And they're quite distressed about that. Mm. We were talking about that in uh, one of our live network hours with the um, participants in the NDC pathway, weren't we, the other night? And... I might. Shall I just speak to that a little, Robin? Oh, most definitely, Pam. Because I suppose this is where I think we want to focus on the resilience of that baby but also that mother-baby pair and then that family unit, the parents and the baby or parents and, and baby and siblings. You know, if we're looking, looking at um, what this whole concept of sensory nourishment is, from an evolutionary point of view, there's a number of ways to think of environmental enrichment. So there's, if you like, the rich experience of the non-social environment and from the point of view of our environment of evolutionary adaptedness, 
the natural world, the outside world, with its, its complexity of input across all the senses of that baby is what the baby expects biologically. And in our context, that might be a streetscape, but still very complex sensory input relative to the four walls of, of the interior of our homes. And then there's social interaction, which in itself can be understood as rich sensory, sensory motor nourishment. And our babies are biologically designed, if you like, to expect increasingly long and complex reciprocity chains as they develop with, with either loving adults, um, the parents or others in their world who adore them, or indeed with older siblings. And the baby develops and, and that sort of uh, development of reciprocity chains moves then into verbal, but always grounded in the physicality of interactions to and fro. So what I hear you saying is that parents are worried because there's constrained social contact for their babies in the context of pandemic socially isolating and um, and also for, for some families in particular a lot of difficulty accessing the uh, much more complex environments outside the house. So some families in Australia, many of us are blessed with, with backyards, but there are also many families who simply don't have access to that, who live in apartments, who may not even have a deck. And uh, they're the families, I think, who are really carrying a burden in terms of babies not receiving the same amount of sensory motor nourishment that they're after and dialing up and becoming unsettled. And those families um, really require our, our support, but also, I think, reassurance around the incredible resilience of the human infant and indeed the, the resilience of the human family as we adapt to an unusual and demanding pandemic context. Human infants are incredibly resilient and adaptive across culture and across experiences. And so even though there may be suboptimal exposures to um, particularly the, the non-social sensory environment in an apartment setting, even though the little one may just have had that nuclear family, if he or she is lucky, because of course the sole parents are, are, are not even having other adult input in this context. But nevertheless, I think we can, on the one hand, celebrate the resilience of the human infant, the resilience of our caregivers, of our families, and as a health system, we do need to be particularly alert to those families who are perhaps comprising a sole parent and a baby who are in an apartment without any access to the external environment for much of the day. Uh, you know, in, in the best possible world, I'd be wanting special resources poured in to those families who are in particularly challenging situations with the baby. Has that made sense to you, Robin, what I'm saying there? Yes, yes, Pam. Yes, it has. And I, I feel that uh, to Pam, that when um, you know parents are you know really trying to solve the problems, and they very easily fall into those first wave behavioural strategies when they're in the four walls at home. Yeah, and yeah. that then escalates the um, the the unsettled behaviour. Indeed, um, this is a terrible and, and trap. I think at the minute. 
Yes, yes, it is. And then a very, very unsettled baby. And of course, then not being able to get out. So it just goes, seems to go round and round in the circle. Yeah. I have a very unsettled baby, more unsettled, more attempts at first wave behavioural strategies to settle that up, um, a more dialed up parent, um, a more dialed up baby, and it just goes around in ever decreasing circles. Yes, I, I um, worry a lot about that, and I guess that's where I, I'm grateful to see that the, the profile of the Possum Sleep Program is increasingly being raised at the moment because truly if the first wave behavioural approaches escalated anxiety prior to um, COVID-19, they're certainly, I would argue, putting families at risk in, in terms of exacerbation of anxiety and distress, not just with the baby but with the whole family trying to trying to put in place the sleep training approaches it's definitely yes. not helpful yes. worsens patterns yes. of sleep at night disrupts patterns of sleep at night and exactly as you say robin this um a spiral of distress can ensue yes pam and i just think what happens it's so subtle so for example with the lockdown we can only get out one hour a day um mum's feeling quite challenged because bub's unsettled and thinks okay the way that I can get this I'm going to get some structure back into the routine because basically that mum is really desperately wanting structure or some form because in fact her structure of her whole life has fallen away Mm. the life that we knew it isn't there anymore so in order for her to feel this what I think is happening is she's like right I'm going to get my baby into a structure of course if you google it of course it tells you yes that's the way to get more sleep at night in more structure is to do this during the day so they desperately cling on to this so i i think then that that's where it escalates that this yeah in melbourne at the moment this sense of wanting to take back some control because everything else has been taken out of control yes yes and yet of course there are important ways of structuring a woman's days with her baby that don't revolve around the baby's sleep because as you and I so intimately know we run into such difficulties there by not aligning with the baby's biology but if she structures her day even in small ways around what brings her joy, what of course is going to meet that baby's sensory needs, sensory motor needs as best she can. But actually having a plan for the day around her own needs and indeed her baby's sensory needs, that's that's an important way forward, isn't it? That kind of planning. Yes. But yeah. the mistaken concept that, that the day needs to be structured around, needs to actually structure the baby's sleep can really be terribly counterproductive for families. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, go on. Oh, just saying yes, yes, yes to all of the above. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I guess thinking to wrap up now, I was reflecting that um, early in our conversation here today you were talking about the difficulties that um, women in particular are facing with babies in the lockdown context. And I was thinking how much of that is, is really like a... A grief. There's there's a reality gap that's emerged very painfully. Um, Dr. Russ Harris, act therapist and and uh, trainer, 
talks often about the concept of the reality gap, that which we expected and very often quite reasonably expected and what's actually happened. And for our um, women with babies through the pandemic, that reality gap has become huge and, yes. and a reality gap causes grief. And so yes. a woman's grief at the moment in this context can be enormous. Oh, absolutely, Pam. It's what you're saying, <laughs> isn't it? It's what you see. Yes. And yes. so how do we support a woman as she lives day by day with this grief, as she faces hour by hour the gap between what she had expected for when she came home with and began life with her baby and what she's actually living through and managing and, you know, grief is not something that we can erase, really. It's not something that we can escape. It's one of those painful emotions that we somehow need to make room for at the same time as we practice bringing our attention into the, the present moment and, and moving forward step by step making life as rich, you know, as enjoyable as we possibly can in a very difficult context. So I suppose I, I wanted to mention, Robin, our resources on possumsonline.com. We've got the, the page that has a series of videos around managing difficult thoughts and feelings in the perinatal period after the birth of a baby. So that's using acceptance and commitment therapy for parents with babies so that's a free resource set of resources available on our website and I did want to also remind our listeners of the PIPS program which is connecting parents up online parents who are interested in the possums programs it's a library of resource but there's a growing closed Facebook community and parents groups that are meeting online so yes I wanted to mention those, Robin. Yeah, I think they're valuable. And, you know, Pam, I just really almost breaks my heart on a daily basis of how I really want women to be just so much kinder to themselves. Yes, yes. You know, that they are really doing and striving to be the best they can be. Yes. Yes. A lot is out of their control, but just that deeper self-compassion. Exactly. Kindness to exactly. self. Exactly. It's just, it's vital for all of us at the best of times, isn't it? But if, if you're a woman doing this journey with a baby um, and with a baby through pandemic times, profound self-compassion is called for. Yes. I can only agree. Yes. 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 So yes, did you have anything else, Robin, that you thought to add before we close? Um, well, Pam, I think we've, I've really enjoyed this conversation uh, and I, I think everything you're saying is so right. The, the resources on the PIPS website and particularly around the ACT strategies I think um, are going to be really helpful for women. Um, I also think perhaps understanding that in Melbourne particularly once you're out and about with your little bub, that you are their first and primary source of sensory. So they might cling to you a little bit and that's okay. 
I know you'll be desperate to um, meet up with your friends, but your bub's not used to that. So that's part of our job as being a parent is to teach our babies new experiences. So as desperate as you might be to get in that big noisy cafe, <laughs> remember that for your little bub, that's a new experience um, because I think that might happen to a degree, Pam. But that, yeah, that, yeah, yep, absolutely. Thanks, Robin. Well, I will send you my gratitude for making time in your busy day to have a chat with me. It's been lovely to talk with you, Robin. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity, Pam. And for also I feeling like for the women in Melbourne to for people to understand where they're coming from, because I think it's very difficult for people not to, to, to with the best intention but not really understand what it's been like and combined with winter as well in Melbourne. <laughs> yes, so. yes. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the possums programs as together we grow joy in early life i hope you tune in again soon bye for now